podcast today. Uh, wow, they can hear me now, Trey. <laughs> oh, I really am glad you showed up today. I was driving up here this morning and I thought, man, this is, a, this is the day. I like a rainy day when I can just stay home, um, right? Especially, y'all ever notice how if you get just a little inkling of, of ice or they're talking about snow, not only does everybody go to the grocery store and get bread, but they, they panic and all that stuff. But I kind of like days like that. But y'all know what? Have y'all ever noticed that days like that always seem to happen on a Sunday? And, uh, and so you're sitting there in church or in, in leadership and you're thinking, well, gosh, what do we do? You hate to not have church, you know, just because there might be a little bit of precipitation. And then you're in South Carolina and in our part of the woods, what do you get? You get no precipitation whatsoever. But I like a, kind of a day like this when you can just sit home and relax and all that stuff. And I'm glad you guys are here um, in fact, let me just say, this is maybe your first or second time here this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, but yet God's brought you back here, you're a guest. Uh, there's a guest information card in the seat in front of you. I'd love for you to fill that out and either lay it on the Welcome Center as you leave or come see me or Trey in the foyer when everything is said and done. Y'all glad to be in the Lord's house today? All right. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me over to Luke chapter 19. We've been in a, in a series the past couple of Sundays that I call core values, and you've heard me say this the past four weeks. Uh, this is our DNA. This is who we are as a church, Miss Diane. This is, you ought to be able to take what we've talked about the past couple of weeks, and whatever church you go through, to, through Chirac or to Columbia, South Carolina, or Columbia, Missouri, if you're a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing church, what we've talked about the past couple of Sundays ought to be said of your church as well. We talked about uh, biblical authority and how we're to live our lives. Remember that illustration? That's a good illustration. I had you push your Bible over you. Y'all remember that? Shake your head as if you do. Yeah, y'all remember that. Okay, some of y'all do. Some of you are thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Well, go back online and watch it. Um, it might put you to sleep, but I don't know. Just go back and watch it. But we talked about that first Sunday about living our lives in submission to God's word. Uh, we talked about transforming worship. Uh, last week, we talked about discipleship, and, and I'm glad Trey said what he said to you today about how our young folks want to disciple uh, younger folks, and that's really what a church should be about. We want to bring the next generation along. I want to bring you along. Y'all are going to bring me along. We're part of this together, right? So we disciple one another because, hmm, I think Jesus told us to do that. So we want to make sure we're discipling each other as well. But today, I want us to talk about how God desires for me and he desires for you. He desires for the bride of Christ. So not only this church, but other churches like us to be on mission for him. So we're going to talk about missional living today. So Luke chapter 19, this is a familiar story. You've heard the story, uh, uh, I'm sure a lot, especially if you've been in church and you were brought up through uh, RAs and GAs and sunbeams. Y'all remember sunbeams? That's, that's really going back. I think I used to be a sunbeam, which is kind of scary to think about. I almost want to sing the song for you, but I'm not going to sing that song. I'm inspired to sing another song for you this morning, but y'all are going to help me with that in just a few minutes. But we're going to be talking today when we think about missional living, about seeking and saving the lost. Uh, I submit to you that the adventure of missional living, wherever you want to see it, isn't this beautiful? By the way, this is a beautiful platform. And I hope y'all are just thankful to what God's done to give you guys this facility back in 2006, I believe. But yeah, um, the adventure of missional living is when we join Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. Now we do the seeking, right? We join Jesus in the seeking, but Jesus is the only one, the only one that can do the saving, but he wants us to join him in seeking the lost. Listen to this letter 
that appeared in a newspaper a couple of years ago, back in 2016. It appeared in um, uh, December the 17th of 2016. Uh, just a, a newsletter ran this article, and it makes you think, wow, how, how, how times have changed. Uh, it was entitled Radical Christianity. Listen to this. And you, and when I finish it, you're going to think, there's nothing really radical about that. But just listen to it. Radical Christianity is the title of this little article. In this age of radicalization, when you see the term spread all over the newspaper and the television screens, I'm reminded of an encounter a family had with two radical Christians. You wonder what they look like, radical Christians. It happened a number of years ago when two men armed with a Bible, loving hearts, and warm handshakes arrived at a family's home and wanted to talk about their spiritual needs. They were invited in, they sat down, they began to share scripture, and they told this family that they were loved by God, that they were special to God, that they were created in God's image, and that God wanted a relationship with them through Jesus Christ. They then explained his love was so great that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for, for, their, for their sins, for, for their atonement. And that by believing in Jesus, they could receive salvation and eternal life simply by trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And that it was solely a gift of God's grace. Nothing else was required. And this family accepted the gift of God and their lives were changed. The article concludes by saying, in this age of radicalization, it's very apparent that radical Christianity is the answer to the world's problems. Y'all agree with that? Yeah, radical Christian. You know, there's really nothing radical about that. And these folks that knocked on the doors with the Bible in their hand that were invited in to share with, and to sit down with, to sit a spell with maybe total strangers, but they were allowed to open their Bibles. And maybe they went through the Romans road. Who, who knows? But they were allowed to share the gospel, which is the good news, right? And these people that invited these radical Christians in placed their faith in Jesus. Was that really radical? Uh, no, I submit they're just being obedient. And there are people just like me and you, but they're joining Jesus in the adventure of missional living. And, and I submit to you that Jesus is still looking in this day and age in which we live for radical followers just like me and you that will seek to join him in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Y'all ready? You got your Bibles open to Luke 19? Y'all going to love this story. This is a fun message today. And this is a, you'll recognize this story from, from years ago, I'm sure, when you were young in church. Not that you're old now, but y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I love you. Just y'all awake? Y'all going to be awake in a minute or two, I can guarantee you. Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named, what's his name, church? Zacchaeus, right? And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. <laughs> so he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, who's, who's they? It's All right? I mean, really, it could be people like us, religious folks, and they all grumble. He has gone, to, gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner, they said. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today 
Salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what, church? The lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I'm going to make a statement with a blank, all right? And I want you to fill in the blank. You ready? All right, Zacchaeus was a what? Wee little man. All right, everybody stand up. All right, everybody stand up. Y'all know what we're about to do? I feel like Richard Simmons. Y'all remember Richard Simmons? We're not doing that. Younger folks are saying, Richard who? Let's not go there. All right, so we're going to sing this song. I probably haven't sung it since I was wee wee little, right? Like Zacchaeus, a wee little man. I can't remember the motions. Some of you kids might remember the motions. Trey, you remember the motions? Okay, I won't put you on the spot, but I really came close to. <laughs> y'all know them? Wow, okay. Well, I won't make y'all come on stage, but unless y'all want to. But yeah, okay. Y'all can watch Diane and Shauna, or y'all can just do like I'm going to do, all right? But we're going to sing that little song that we heard years and years ago. Y'all don't leave me hanging, all right? You ready? Here we go. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. One more time. For I'm going to your house today. All right, give yourself a hand. Y'all did really, really good. Y'all can be seated and tell the person you, you said that you sang that song next to that they sang beautifully. Yeah, now don't be lying in church, all right? But you can, you can stretch it a little bit. They sang that song beautifully. Thank y'all ladies for helping me do that. I had forgot all those hand motions there. But thank you so very much. Yeah, so um, you might be thinking, why in the world did we do this? Boy, Pastor, why did you make us get up and sing that song that I haven't sung since I was in preschool at church? Here's why. Sometimes when we come to stories like this in Scripture, we still see it with eyes and hearts and minds of a kid. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there really isn't nothing wrong with that. Um, I don't remember who first taught me this song, Diane. It might have been Miss Willie Mae Sorge, who was one of my... Sunday school teachers, thank y'all so much for being a Sunday school teacher, especially to our kids. Um, it could have been Miss Willie Mae Sorge. It could have been Miss Lois Williams, who, um, who never, ever, ever got, got married. And I asked her one day, I said, Miss Lois, how come you never married? And I don't know how old I was when I asked her this, but she said, well, God hadn't brought me anybody. And y'all know what she did? She was so faithful not only to walk to church because she didn't have a car, and she lived in a little mill town, she walked to church. She also walked to Vaucluse Mill, where she was one of the mill workers there. And, and I think she worked in the spinning room. But anyway, uh, people like Lois, people like Willie Mae Sorge, and they've been in heaven for years, taught a little kid like me Bible stories. And not only did they teach me Bible stories, they let me sing Bible stories like that. And I'm sure I really sang it all key. I did pretty good just then, though, don't you think? So sometimes we come to stories like this that we're looking at today and, and we still see them as a, as a kid does. And there's nothing wrong. Praise God for people that pour into our life and we get God's word into our mind, even through songs like this. But I really want us to see them with, with fresh eyes and with open minds. So with that in mind, let's pray and ask God to do that. So Father, um, you know, I think when we come to church, uh, never do I want to be 
so uptight in my worship of you that I can't worship you. So, Lord, I pray that this morning as we think about this particular story that we've heard for years, maybe even since we were little kids in primary department in church, Lord, help us to see the story of Zacchaeus um, afresh today. So, Lord, I pray that our, not only would our minds be open to what you want to say, but I pray more than anything that our hearts will be open to what you want to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name, and if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Hey, I love this story about Zacchaeus, about this little man that so wanted to see Jesus, he climbed up in that tree just to get a glance at somebody he really, really, really wanted to see. And that's a fun children's story, right? But it's more than just a fun children's story. This is, this is a really serious story because Jesus takes this wee little man called Zacchaeus and he reveals to Zacchaeus, this is my mission. You know, out of all the people in the world he could have got going to Jericho there, ultimately heading to Jerusalem, Jesus sought out Zacchaeus and he tells Zacchaeus, this is my mission. This is why I've come. So if I had to say, what's the big idea of this message? There's always one thing. I want you to take home with you. And that big idea of this message is that as a follower of Jesus, which I am, which you are as well, we're to join him in seeking so that he might be saving the lost. And everywhere around us, there are people that are lost. So remember, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He's walking to Jerusalem. He's he's heading to Jerusalem, but he stops here in Jericho and he meets a guy named Zacchaeus. Now we know he's a wee little man, right? But I want to introduce you to some other facets of of who this person was. Not only was he a wee little man, he was a bad man. You say, Zacchaeus? Yeah. Zacchaeus not only was a wee little man, he was a bad man. And in the city of Jericho, Zacchaeus was not known as somebody you would want to hang out with. He was not known as somebody that was sweet, that was cute, that was kind, that was gentle. He was a feared man. And the reason Zacchaeus was a feared man was because he was simply a bad man. And the Bible tells us in verse 2 why. (laughs) Y'all see what the Bible says of him in verse 2? It says he's a tax collector. And so, wait a minute, I know so-and-so, and and they work for the IRS, and they work for the government, and and they're not bad. I get that. But back in this day, if you were like Zacchaeus, you were pretty much a bad dude. So wipe that idea out of your mind that Zacchaeus was just great and all that. Initially, before he met Jesus, he was not. He was a very bad man because tax collectors in that day extorted money from people like us. So they're bad people, right? If you're extorting money from innocent people, from good people that are trying to make a living for themselves and for their family, Zacchaeus is in here and he's extorting money from them. So if we lived back in the first century and we're at their version of Walmart, our Dollar General, because if there's a field, y'all know Dollar General will build, right? So, so wherever we're at there, if we're out there in the first century and we're going down an aisle like this aisle right here and we see Zacchaeus, y'all know what we would do being the good people we are we're going to find another aisle to go down, right? (laughs) Or if we're over here in the first century and we're at Hardee's and all we want is is to eat our sausage biscuit and drink our coffee in quiet, but if we see Zacchaeus sitting where we're going to sit, where are we going to sit? We're going to sit on the opposite end of the restaurant. So y'all get my drift here? You know, if if we're at Sherall State Park playing golf and we're about to tee off on the first hole here, but there's Zacchaeus and his entourage, we're not going to wait behind him because we don't even want to see him. We're going to go ahead and we're going to start on hole number 10. Because that's how, that's how he was. He was a bad man and you didn't want to be around him whatsoever. So in this day and age, in the first century that Zacchaeus lived, if you were a tax collector, you basically were already associated with this word. You're a crook. You extort money from people. 
Now, back in the day, uh, the Jewish people lived under the government of Rome, and people like Zacchaeus, tax collectors, worked for the Roman government. And, and their MO was, all right, Zacchaeus, you're to get as much money as you possibly can for the Roman government. But by the way, if you meet your quota here, if you get anything above that, guess what? You get to keep it. So he really, really, really was trying to get as much money as he possibly could. That was the deal. So it was to his advantage to take advantage of people like me and you, just, just average Joes. So he was, he was a bad man. Does that kind of change your way of thinking when it comes to Zacchaeus? Well, not only was he a bad man, he was something else. He was a very rich man. And he was a rich man because he was a bad man. And the Bible tells us there again in verse 2 that he was rich. And y'all know what that word rich means? It means rich. Yeah, that's why I went to seminary, so I can tell y'all some deep stuff like that. Yeah, he was, he was, it's almost like the Beacon Drive-In in Spartanburg. Y'all know I like to eat, right? Because I talk about food probably too much. But if you've ever been to the Beacon Drive-In and you order a plenty, it's a plenty. It's a heart attack waiting to happen, but man, it's good. He had a plenty, Zacchaeus did. He was very, very, very rich. Not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So what does that mean? That means he had people working under him. So not only was Zacchaeus rich because he was taking advantage of people, everybody working under him was taking advantage of people as well, and they had to give him a cut of whatever they took. So people like you and me that lived in Jericho of the first century, we watched as people like Zacchaeus took our money year after year after year. We watched as he decorated his house more affluently. And in his, he always had the newer appliances. He always had the flat screen TVs, if you will. His house looked better than, his house was like a Taj Mahal and our houses were just, you know, nothing like his. Hey, by the way, um, I, I believe just to, F, just to let this out of the bag here, I believe that the church house, our house, God's house here, ought to look nicer than the place we live. Just my opinion. So, um, so chat, wherever you are, um, I appreciate what we've done uh, in making this house look as nice as it is. We've come a long way, haven't we? But uh, we want to make sure God's house always looks as nice, if not nicer than our house. That was Zacchaeus' home. I mean, his home in Jericho looked so much better than everybody else's. He always wore the finer clothes. He always ate the filet mignons, and we're stuck with Spam. Not that there's anything wrong with Spam. But I'd much rather have a steak than Spam, right? And, and then Zacchaeus had all these servants that were working under him. And, and if we were living back in that day, we might have even have been one of his servants. So he, he was just a bad man. And he was a really, really rich man. But make no doubt about it, he was really, really well off. So there again, it kind of changes our opinion of him being a bad man, a rich man. But then he also was a desperate man. There's a point in his life when Zacchaeus was just desperate for something different. You know, if you know people in your life in the circle you work with, hang with or whatever, and they just seem to always be searching, it makes me wonder if, they, if that emptiness in their heart that they keep on trying to fill with this, that, and the other, if they just need to fill it with Jesus. Hey, that could be why you're actually in their life, so that you can use them, you're seeking them so that Jesus might save them. So Zacchaeus was at a point where he was a desperate man. And if your Bibles are open, we see in verses three and four that he was seeking Jesus, but he had a problem. And the problem was that he was small in stature. In other words, he was short. I like to think he was a little bit shorter than me. Hey, can I just go off on a tangent here? When I was, um, 
I, I thought the world of my pediatrician when I was a kid. Uh, he was a believer. Got to know him a little bit the older I got. Uh, he's in heaven as well right now. Uh, but, but his name was Dr. Mack, just a great guy that lived in Aiken. And, but I tell you what, I got a beef with him. When I get to heaven, I'm going to seek him out. Because according to my growth chart, Travis, I was supposed to be six feet tall. Something happened. I don't know what Dr. Mack was thinking that day, but it just didn't work out that way. But anyway, I mean, Zacchaeus was just small in stature, and I like to think maybe smaller than me. But he heard that Jesus was coming to Jericho, and he really wanted to see him. And, and, and I don't know why. We, we don't know why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he wanted to see Jesus. Maybe, just maybe he heard that, that, that Jesus liked to hang out with people like him, that nobody else liked. Because after all, he's a tax collector, and, and therefore, because he's a tax collector, he's a crook. So maybe he had heard that Jesus likes hanging out with people like him, and even people that nobody else would associate with, like, like prostitutes and things like that. Maybe he had heard that about Jesus, that he's not afraid to get his hands dirty and hang out with people that you and I, oh, I don't know if we should be around such people. Maybe Zacchaeus had heard that, um, that all the other religious people, he said, maybe, maybe this Jesus will talk to me because all those religious folks don't talk to me. If anything, they'll look down about me. Maybe he'd heard that about Jesus, and maybe he just assumed, just maybe Jesus will talk to me. Maybe he had heard about a fellow tax collector named Levi, who's now called, we know him as what? Matthew. And, and maybe, just maybe, he's wanting to see what happened in Matthew's life because Matthew gave it all up to be a follower of Jesus. Or maybe old Zach was at a point in his life that he was just tired of the life he was living and he was desperate for something different. Maybe, maybe he was desperate for Jesus, right? Y'all ever been there? You ever been at a point in your life where um, you were just desperate for Jesus? You ever been at a point in your life where, where Dave, you just wanted just to, to hear him audibly or just to see his face? you know, in person and not just on what somebody's image of what Jesus might be and all these pictures we got hanging around churches like ours. You just really wanted to see what he looked like personally with your eyes or just to sit in his presence. I don't know if y'all ever been there, but I've been there. And just maybe, just maybe that's where Zacchaeus is at this point in his life. So what Zacchaeus does, being the desperate man, you know, he, he probably did try to get between the crowd there, but they're not about to let Zacchaeus go by because, I mean, they don't care for the guy. So what Zacchaeus does is he skimmies, you know, around them. He goes around them, and then he just, you know, skirts his way up this tree there, the sycamore tree. The, Dr. Luke even tells us what type of tree it is. Like, that's not really important, but, you know, we know what type of tree he shimmies up there, and he goes out on a limb. Because he's that desperate to meet Jesus. Hey, this is a good word. When you're desperate to see Jesus, I believe you'll see Jesus. And that's where Zacchaeus was in his life. So if you come to Jesus and you find yourself hungry spiritually and you're thirsting for the water that only he can provide, the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be full. So when you come to Jesus like Zacchaeus did and you're desperate for him I believe with all my heart that you'll see Jesus and when Zacchaeus as a desperate man met Jesus he became a changed man <laughs> a bad man a rich man a desperate man but then he was a changed man and we see that in verses five through seven the Bible says that Jesus came and he stopped and he looked right at him and when Jesus looked right at Zacchaeus what did he say he basically said he calls him by his own name doesn't he calls him out 
Here's a million dollar question. How did Jesus know his name was Zacchaeus? Can I, can I tell you the answer? Because he is? Yeah, he's God. He's Jesus. He knows everything about Zacchaeus and he knows everything about you and me. I mean, he knew all the people that Zacchaeus had hurt. He knew all the people Zacchaeus had bullied. All the people that he had cheated out of their hard-earned money. Jesus knew all the people that Zacchaeus had hurt. And he knew at this particular moment where he was in his life. And guess what? Even though he knew all of that, Jesus loved him anyway. And he knows everything about us. He knows every skeleton in our closet. He knows everything about us. And he loves us anyway. You ever wondered how much? How much does he love me? Hey, look this way. He loves you this much. That's how much Jesus loves Zacchaeus. And that's how much he loves people like us, even though he knows all of our dirty laundry. I mean, he knows our regrets. He knows the sins we've committed. He knows the sins we're going to commit still. He knows the pain and the emptiness you might even be feeling today. Uh, He knows it all. He knows the hurt that we've been caused. He knows how people have hurt us, and yet he still chooses to love us anyway. And because Zacchaeus met Jesus, he was so desperate, Zacchaeus became that changed man. You know, I've learned that um, Jesus already knows everything about me. And since he knows everything about me, I don't have anything to hide. So that means I can just be real with him. And I can be transparent because not only is he my savior, but he's my friend. He's my redeemer. And he's my heavenly father. And he loves me, right? I heard about a story about about a son that told his dad one day, he says, Dad, if you, know, if you know some of the things I've done, you wouldn't love me the way you do. And kudos to this dad. His dad looked his son in the eye and he's like, son, no matter what you've ever done in your life, nothing will ever diminish my love for you. Nothing. And that's, that's, that's how God loves us. That's how God loves Zacchaeus. So the so thing about this, he's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to be dying, and he basically says, hey, Zach, man, get down off that tree. I, I'm going to your house. Maybe he knew that Zacchaeus had a Keurig. I don't know. Uh, what, we don't know. What he's like, I'm going to your house today. Or I'm going to sit a spell. I'm going to hang with you. I think that's one of Jesus' spiritual gifts. He liked to hang with people, right? Is that one of yours, spiritual gifts? You like to hang with people? I'm having fun. Smile. Right? So that was Jesus, and, 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 and here's the sad part of the story here. He couldn't get down that tree fast enough, Zacchaeus, right? And the people of Jericho, many of them religious people that were there to see Jesus walk past, that wanted a piece of Jesus. The people of Jericho, a lot of them religious people, basically did that. Holy moly. He's going to his house. He's a sinner. I remind you, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save sinners. And I'm glad he saved a sinner like me. (laughs) And he saved sinners like you. And he came to Zacchaeus as well, even though he was a sinner. So look what verse 8 says. And Zacchaeus stood and he said, Lord, behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to restore it, not just one-fold or two-fold. I'm going to restore it fourfold. So it just, it's, it reminders, it's a reminder to us that, that he, yeah, he came to Jesus desperate and he was rich and he was bad and all that stuff, but he was changed. 
So I say that to say this. When Jesus touches your life, (laughs) he's going to change your life. When Jesus touches your life, Jesus will change your life. And if your life isn't changed, hmm, we need to talk, all right? And you need to get right with Jesus. So, so, so here's a good word, and then we'll move on to another point here. Jesus never touches a life he doesn't change. And Zacchaeus at this point was a changed man. But then I want to leave you with this. He was a significant man. He really was a significant man. And here's why. Jesus told Zacchaeus, this is why I've come. They're getting out of all the people in Jericho. He tells little old Zacchaeus, this is why I've come. I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come, Zacchaeus, for people like you. I've come, Zacchaeus, for people like, like Rod Elliott. I've come for people who are lost, that, that are in Sheraw, that are all around the world. I've come for, for them. Hey, y'all remember what we're talking about this morning? We're talking about missional living, and that was Jesus' mission, and he desires for me and for you to join him in that mission should we choose to accept it. And as a church like us, a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church, that ought to be our mission as well. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now, let's take those, that word, to seek and to save the lost, and let's flip it, all right? Y'all like that? Let's flip it. And let's just, let, me, let me just talk to you before I let you go about flipping it, all right? Think with me of a few moments about saving the lost. When Jesus went to the cross, that was the death knell of our sins. <laughs> you know, death no longer has a victory over us because there's victory in Jesus. He went to the cross. He is our atoning sacrifice. He was pure. He was righteous. And he went to the cross so that unrighteous people like us might have our sins forgiven and find ourselves in heaven one day, which is where he wants us to be, right? So Jesus came to save the lost, but he, but he, but he, seek, he sought the lost as well. And that means that Jesus, before he went to the cross, he's just showing people like me and you, average shows all the way around Jericho, that he really, really, really cared for them. And that he knew their greatest need was to turn and put their faith in him. Have y'all ever set, set a spell and, and just pondered, just wondered, why did Jesus do all the things that he did before he went to the cross? I mean, why be born in the first place? Why spend 30 years of your life on earth going through all the things that you went through that we don't even really know everything he went through? Uh, we know three years of his ministry pretty good, right? But why, why not just go straight to the cross? Why do all the other stuff? I mean, if, if all Jesus did was to feed the hungry and to teach the multitudes and to bless the little kiddos and to show compassion to people like Jesus, if all he did was heal the sick, but if he never went to the cross, the saving work was never accomplished. Y'all with me? So he did all that he did to show us that he really is who he says he is. He came to seek and to save the lost. He fed the hungry. He, he calmed the storm so that people like us living even today would know that we serve a God that not only went to the cross for us, but we serve a God that really, really cares for you. <laughs> he can meet our needs. He healed the sick. He raised the dead to show he's got power to draw people to himself. Uh, He taught the multitudes to reveal God's kingdom to the lost and to show them that the only way for them to enter the kingdom of God is through faith in him. He ate with tax collectors like Zacchaeus and sinners to show them that he is a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad he's a friend of sinners? Man. So he lived a missional life, a life of compassion, a life of love for others because he simply came to seek and to save the lost. So the adventure of missional living for you and for me is to join him in the mission. 
So let me give you some practical ways you can do that, all right? So here, here are some ways you can put really this into practice, and they're really, really easy. Sometimes we in church can make a mountain or can, can take a molehill and make a mountain out of it. These are really just easy ways for you to put this message today into practice. Are you ready? The first one's really earth-shattering, but it's a way you can be on mission with Jesus, and that's simply to pray for people. You can simply pray for others. If you want to live missionally, pray for people. You know, let them know you're praying for them. Uh, ask them the question, how might I pray for you? Y'all know a couple of weeks ago, um, we had Miss Teresa walk down the aisle. And it's always bold for people to walk down the aisle, right? Because you know what we're doing. If, we're, if we were like holding on to a pew, we're grasping it. And our favorite hymn at that, point, that time is, I shall not be moved, right? But an invitation is when we respond publicly to what God has done in our heart, if we feel like we need to make it public. And the Holy Spirit drew Miss Teresa to leave her seat, and she's sitting like a lot of good Baptists all the way in the back. I love you, Teresa. All right? But she came down front, and she said, I want my church family to pray for me. And I was tickled to death that she wanted to be that open and transparent. Now, we didn't tell you. She might have told some folks what medical issues she had going on in her life. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've got her permission uh, to share with you that she thought, uh, based on all the tests that the doctors were telling her, she had a mass on her liver. She found out Friday, there's no mass that's there. Yeah. Praise Jesus. And we prayed for her that day, and, and we've been praying for her ever since. And we just want to thank the Lord for that. And thank the Lord for medical professionals and all. But, but man, call on the church, the bride of Christ, to pray. So, yeah, pray for people. And then be generous. So it's an easy way to, to show others that you love them. You live your life this way, <laughs> open-handed. You know, even small things make a difference. I tell you, when I went in my, my study a few minutes ago, um, I opened my door. Y'all know what I found on my desk? But I found a bag of boiled peanuts. What you think I'm doing this afternoon? I'm eating a bag of, but they, made, they brought a smile to my face. Something, just a small little gesture like that just made your day. So, 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 you know, make some muffins for your neighbor. Bake some cookies for them, you know. You might even want to go rake their yard for them. I'll tell you all a quick story, even though I know the time's running up. But this is kind of funny. Uh, last week, I guess it was two weeks ago, my neighbor across the street, love them dearly. And they got some of the prettiest pie straw around. All right, so anyway, what I like to do, I love to blow things. I love my blower. Got it a couple of Christmases ago. Mitch, I love my blower. Husqvarna. <laughs> it's a good blower. So anyway, I'm blowing my, I, I blow my street. Isn't that bad? That's how odd I am, but I'll blow my street right in front of my house. I want it to look good. So anyway, I was blowing Warren's driveway, and I thought, man, he's got a lot of straw. So I called Tina over, and we rate their yard. Now, now, here's the funny part. John is washing a car, and he yells across the neighborhood, you know your parents are getting old when they forget where they live and they do somebody else's yard work. Now, I did it twofold. One, I love my neighbor, and I just wanted to be a blessing to him. But I really wanted to straw, too, because it's some really nice straw. So, so if you look at my front yard now, I've got some really pretty pine straw beds. But anyway, be generous. You know, just live your life open-handed. Let your neighbors know that you love them. Wait, why? Because Jesus loves them. Even if they got a barking dog that keeps you up all hours of the night, you still got to love them, right? And then be visible and available. You know, hang outside in your neighborhood. Take walks in your neighborhood. Converse with people. Talk with people. Build bridges so, for, so that you might have an opportunity to share with them Jesus. And then try to meet their needs. So many people have needs that are unmet. This past Wednesday night, um, 
I share with the folks that were at prayer meeting that God gives a pastor a vision for a church, but y'all know what else? He gives you a vision for your church as well. So I wanted to hear from them. Like, what do you think we, we can do to make a difference in this community? And one of the ideas was, hey, there's one of our elementary schools here. I think it was elementary. It could have been intermediate. I have to look at my notes. But they said, you know, we really need to do a coat drive for them. It's the way we can meet a need. So just look for ways that you can meet people's needs. So, uh, so let's move on. Uh, folks in the sound booth, we want to meet people's needs. We want to also go where God sends us. So living missionally means that you're willing to go wherever God sends you, even if it means leaving good old Shiraz. It's amazing what God might open doors so that where we can go. So meet people's needs and then go where God sends you. I think I skipped one, be a regular. So let me just go back and say that. He said, what do you mean by be a regular? Uh, If y'all are like me, you're kind of creatures of habit. So make sure when it turns to being a regular, go to the same places at the same time, get to know the people. Uh, I've only been in Shiraz for a little bit, but I found myself at the Mexican restaurant a, a, a bit, a good bit with Trey here. Trey likes to eat Mexican. I like eating Mexican too. And, and I met a waiter there named Felix. Isn't that his name? Yeah. So, we, we, hey, I want to get to know him. Why? Because I'm the pastor here. So, so be a regular wherever God happens to place you. So um, be a regular, meet people's needs, go where God sends you, and then last but not least, know your mission. Know the mission that God has for you. Now, and don't miss this. If you forget your mission... If we forget our mission, then living missionally, all right, listen, this is when you sit on the edge of your seat. If you forget your mission, you can degenerate into just becoming not a mission-minded person, but just being a nice person. And there ain't nothing wrong with being a nice person. We all need some more nice people in the world in which we live today, right? But let's not forget the mission as to why God has called us to do what he's called us to do. Imagine with me, and then I'll close, a, a little boy and his family at Disney World. The happiest place on earth, one of the most expensive places on earth, too. Great time of day. <laughs> I, was, I saw a guy on, the, on um, the internet, he had a t-shirt on, and the back of his shirt, the font for the letter D looked like the D in the word Disney, and it actually had that on the back of his shirt. The most expensive day ever. <laughs> yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Especially if you got kids. Y'all know you got to even pay for your car to park at Disney World. They get to go on vacation when you get to go on vacation at Disney World. But anyway, just imagine, got a little boy and his family walking down Main Street, USA, and somehow they, they get lost. Not the parents, but the kid gets lost. And the parents are like, we've lost our boy. And they're probably panicking. They probably got security, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, all those people probably looking for their little kiddo. Y'all think that kiddo's scared? No. He's at Disney World. He's got Space Mountain, Splash Mountain. It's a small world, but who in the world wants to ride? It's a small world, right? I mean, that's not fun at all. (laughs) He's having the time of his life. He has no idea that he's lost, but his parents know that he's lost. Now, there's a point to the story. We work and we live around people all the time that have no idea that they're lost. And that's why Jesus sends people like me and you to invest in them, to disciple them, Trey, so that 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 was lost can be found. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed and every eye closed. Uh, Father, I pray that um, as we journey together that you would allow us to be a people on mission. 
a people that submit to the authority of your word, a people that has worship that is just transforming. We don't just come to worship to sing a song or two. We come to truly, truly worship you. Lord, I pray that as we journey together, we'll be a church that's all about making disciples. It's not about how big a church can grow. It's about how people grow in their Lord and in their relationship with him. But Lord, I really do pray that you'll help us to be a church on mission. And thank you for the mission opportunities you've opened up for us, Heavenly Father, um, here in, in Sherrall, in Boston, in Puerto Rico, wherever else you open the door so that your people here can be a blessing to others and to share with others the saving grace of Jesus. And Father, um, I just humbly pray that. So Lord, give us missional eyes, give us missional, give us missional hearts. And you might be here today and in the quietness of this place right now. You can almost hear a pin drop. And you may be thinking, you know, I just don't know if I'm right with Jesus. Would you like to get right with Jesus today? If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why not begin this day giving your heart to him? And I would just simply like to lead you in a prayer where you can ask Jesus to save you. All right? And maybe you prayed this prayer years ago, but maybe you just want to make sure that you got it nailed down. Pray this prayer in your heart. Jesus will hear you. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are, for loving me, for seeking me, even when I'm far away. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I know the only way for me to have eternal life and to have my sins forgiven is for you to come into my life. So this morning, I ask you to save me. And as much as I know how, I give myself to you. So come into my life. Give me your gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And Father, I will do the best I can this side of heaven to live for you. And still with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you pray that prayer this morning when we stand up and sing in just a second, um, Trey and I are down front. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you pray that prayer, we want to know it. Um, You can even see me in the foyer if you pray that prayer. We just want to help you go the next step in your relationship with Jesus. If you're looking for a church home, hey, this is a great place to belong to. I believe that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. So, uh, Father, um, whatever decisions we need to make today, be it public or private, Father, we pray we make them for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you to stand where you are. We're going to